Listening, mimicking and getting feedback is the best way to learn Chinese pronunciation. But unless you're a small child or extremely talented, adding some theory to the mix can also be helpful. Hello and welcome to the Hacking Chinese podcast. In this week's episode, we are going to talk about pronunciation, and more specifically, we're going to talk about how learning some theory can help you improve your pronunciation. Before we get started with that, I'd like to mention that my Chinese pronunciation course will open for registration on May 22nd, and if you're interested, you can head over to pronunciation.hackingchinese.com. As usual, if you're listening to this in the future, you can still head over to pronunciation.hackingchinese.com to check the current status of the course as well as to learn more about the course itself. I will say a few words about the course later in this episode as well, but since we spent episode 40 talking only about the pronunciation course, that's where you should head if you want to listen to me talk about the course in more detail. So let's talk about theory and how learning some theory can help you improve your pronunciation. When I say theory here, I mean explicit knowledge about the sounds and tones in Mandarin, rather than simply practicing to pronounce them or listening to them. The role of explicit knowledge in language learning is far from fully explored, so there are many things we simply don't know. And there are some people who claim that explicit knowledge is useless when it comes to learning things like pronunciation, grammar, or any other part of a language. And then there are people who say that explicit knowledge is necessary to learn languages. And then most people place themselves somewhere in between these two extremes. And I should clarify that I'm talking about adult language learning here. We are not interested in children learning their first language or languages. Because in that case, of course people learn perfectly well without learning, say, grammar explicitly or learning about pronunciation. Chinese kids don't need tones explained to them before they can pronounce them accurately, and native speakers of English clearly don't need a teacher telling them how grammar works before they can actually use said grammar. When it comes to pronunciation, children typically learn to pronounce their native language perfectly without even trying to, and of course there are some exceptions, maybe there's a speech impediment or something like that, but these are clearly special cases, whereas most people do learn to pronounce their native language perfectly. To preempt some questions here, when I say perfectly, I don't mean that they necessarily adhere to a national standard or something like that. I mean that they simply learn to pronounce the language as the people around them do as they grow up. Now, this is clearly not the case for second language learners. If you start learning Chinese when you're, say, 20 or 30 or something else, you will probably not reach native-like or even clear pronunciation without trying to. It won't just magically happen if you learn the language, listen as much as you can, and speak whenever you have an opportunity. Many explanations for this have been proposed. For example, our brains are not the same when we are 5 years old as when we are 50 years old. Furthermore, learning subsequent languages after you learn your native language is not the same either. Children and adults don't learn the same way either, so children, well, they spend all their time with their native language or languages, but they still don't say much for a year or two, and then they start speaking. So they essentially just are immersed in the language and listen a lot before they do anything else. Whereas very few foreigners have the patience to listen to Chinese for two years non-stop and only then start pronouncing it. 
Adults also have many other things going on, and for most people the goal isn't to become a native speaker like everybody else around you, but for a child this is the major goal. If you want to fit in a group and be socially accepted, well, then you'd better speak like the other people do. This can be a goal or a desire for adult learners too, of course, but the social pressure to reach native-like pronunciation is simply not there for most people. The goal in this week's episode is not to explore the reason why this is the case, but it is rather to discuss what we can do about it, and here, as the title of the episode and as the introduction implies, I do think that theory and explicit knowledge can play a role. But before we get into that, I'd like to make it very clear that the foundation of good pronunciation is still listening, mimicking and getting feedback. While this is not actually what I want to talk about today, I don't want to run the risk of someone misunderstanding what I'm saying and thinking that you can learn theory instead of listening, mimicking and getting feedback, because theory is just an addition, it's a supplement if you will. The first pillar of pronunciation is listening. And if you're not listening attentively and listening a lot, you will not be able to build a mental model for how the sounds and tones are supposed to work and what they're supposed to sound like and then you won't be able to pronounce them either. There's plenty of research on how adults acquire new sounds and establish new sound categories, most of which I talked about in an article called Learning to Hear the Sounds and Tones in Mandarin, and I'll put a link to that in the description. The second pillar of pronunciation is mimicking, and this can be done in numerous different ways, and you can try to find one you like or, or vary between all of them. But it involves listening attentively to what a native speaker is saying and then repeating after them and trying to sound like they do. And you can do this simultaneously, i.e. as they are saying it, kind of chorus repetition. You can do it afterwards or you can do this in many different ways. But the point is that you are combining listening with your own practice in a way that you can also compare in some fashion. So if you, for example, do the chorus mimicking, as I suggested, and this is my favorite way of practicing mimicking, both when I'm teaching and when I'm learning languages myself, and you can do this with a native speaker, which is tricky, you need to have a native speaker around who's willing to practice with you, or you can do it with audio recordings. You just get an audio clip of someone speaking in a way that you think is desirable, and you learn what they're saying, you repeat it in small snippets, you say it over and over until you can produce a recording yourself that sounds as close to the original as possible. But to each his own when it comes to learning methods, I'm not saying you have to use audio clips like I do, you can also listen attentively to people in your surroundings and just try to speak like they do. But paying attention and then trying to produce something similar yourself. So the third pillar of pronunciation is feedback. And this doesn't need to be feedback in the explicit sense that someone tells you this is right, this is wrong, this is what you should have said. It could also be implicit feedback when you see that somebody doesn't understand what you say, when you realize that something must be wrong with your pronunciation because someone frowns, or something like that. You can basically judge how easily somebody is able to understand you, and part of that might be because of pronunciation. Naturally, implicit feedback is sometimes limited because you don't know what was wrong, maybe it was something you said, maybe it was the concept you talked about, the words you used, but it could of course also have been pronunciation. Still, getting feedback is essential. If you learn Chinese on your own, without talking to anybody and without getting any feedback on your pronunciation, you simply don't know how well you're doing. 
Maybe you are the greatest mimicker on earth and you can just listen to people and say what they say and it's right. Maybe it's the opposite, you cannot mimic at all and you think you're saying the right things but you're not. The problem is of course if you cannot hear the difference between two sounds or two tones, you will not hear when you get it right or wrong either and when you compare you might think that these sound similar but to a native speaker they're not, maybe they are two completely different sounds and if you keep speaking this way people will misunderstand what you say and it will be harder to communicate. So do make sure you get feedback of some kind. Okay, so that was the longest introduction to an episode so far I think. But I think it is important to cover the basic approach to pronunciation first before we start talking about theory. Because like I said, I don't want anybody to come away from this episode thinking that learning some theory will enable you to skip the listening, skip the mimicking or the feedback parts. That's simply not the case. This is just something you should do in addition to the three basic pillars I've already described. I think there are two reasons why learning some theory can be good for your pronunciation. And the first one is that since the problem is often that we cannot hear the difference, we cannot hear how something is pronounced because we are blocked by our native language or something else, this means that sometimes seeing or learning about how it's supposed to be pronounced can actually open our eyes, well, or our ears, I guess, to how these sounds are produced. My first experience with this was when I learned English phonetics at university. And I'm from Sweden and growing up we learned Swedish in school. Maybe I started at the age of 10 or something like that. And I studied for about 10 years before getting to university phonetics. And before that I had a very limited idea of how phonetics worked, basically nothing. So I was exposed to English for 10 years both in school and outside, because of course in Sweden we watch uh, films in English, we listen to music and so on and so forth. But somehow there were some things that I didn't hear and that I didn't learn until I actually learned the theory describing them. So I'll just bring up a few examples here. The first example, or really a category of examples, are words that are not pronounced as they are written. So for example, I used to pronounce the words iron, salmon and column the way they were written. So for the metal, I used to say iron, like I would say irony, and yes I know there are people who say irony as well, but never mind that. And for the fish, I used to pronounce the L, I mean why not, it's written with an L, so salmon, right? And finally for the pillar, or the vertical thing, I used to say column, with both the M and the N being pronounced at the end. And in Swedish the word is kolumn, and we do pronounce both of them, so this is, well, the natural way for me to say these words. And so the point here is that I must have heard at least some of these words hundreds or maybe thousands of times over 10 years, and I still never heard that they weren't pronounced the way I pronounced them. However, if you see these words written down using IPA, the International Phonetic Alphabet, or some other transcription system, the difference between my pronunciation before and the accurate or correct pronunciation becomes very obvious. Another important thing I learned in phonetics that helped me improve my pronunciation in English immensely is vowel reduction. So the vowel in unstressed syllables is usually just pronounced uh, regardless of what it says on the page. So just to bring up one example, in a word like control, the first vowel is not an O sound at all, it's an U sound, it's control, not control, which is what I used to say and what lots of Swedish people say. And again, I bring this up because I had ample opportunity to pick this up simply by listening and speaking a lot, but I didn't. 
It took a phonetics course before I figured these things out. I know this is not the Hacking English podcast, but I do think it's sometimes helpful to start with familiar examples, and if you're listening to this, you presumably understand spoken English. But let's turn to Chinese now instead. I started learning Chinese when I was 23, and I have encountered several examples that are similar to those I just discussed in English. So here are three things that I failed to pick up through listening and speaking a lot, and even going to class a lot and having dozens of different teachers, but that I later figured out after learning more about the theory behind the sounds and tones in Mandarin. I should point out that these are my personal examples of things that I learned by studying theory, and these may or may not overlap with your potential benefits, but I do hear these errors from students fairly often, so I think they are quite representative. So the first example is the most powerful one and the best illustration of this principle, because the third tone is just a low tone in a vast majority of cases, and yet many students simply fail to understand this. They don't hear it, and they don't know it. I learned Chinese for two years before I figured this out, and I studied full-time, and half of that was also in an immersion environment, and I simply never noticed that the tone is a low tone. I thought it was a dipping tone, I sometimes went, went up when I should go down, I sometimes did the dip when I should only go down, and so on. This is something I covered in episode 26 of the podcast, so if anything I just said didn't make sense, or you suspect you might have a problem with the third tone, I strongly recommend you check that out. So the point here is that after I realized that this was a problem, and I looked at descriptions of the third tone, everything suddenly made sense, and I was able to fix my pronunciation. It took a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, but it was possible. But if I hadn't been made explicitly aware how the third tone was supposed to be pronounced, I'm fairly sure I could have kept pronouncing it like this until the end of eternity. And indeed, this is what many students do. They simply never learn that the third tone is a low tone, and so they keep pronouncing it incorrectly until hopefully someday someone will tell them. And if you check the article that goes with episode 26 that I just pointed to, you'll see plenty of comments from people who say that, aha, now I finally understand how this works. And this wasn't because they were listening, it wasn't because they were mimicking, but it was because now they suddenly understand or have explicit knowledge about the tone. The second example I want to bring up is a little bit more subtle, but it's something that confuses students all the time, and it used to confuse me for a long time as well. So I used to think that z, 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 so that z, c, and s are pronounced closer to the teeth, and then we have z, 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 so that's z, h, c, h, and s, h, that are pronounced further back in this retroflex or retracted position. And then we have j, q, and x, so z, c, c, which are pronounced in between these two. But this is not the case, this is not how they are pronounced, but you can probably pronounce them like that your whole life without noticing. Instead, these are completely different in how they are formed. The tongue tip is down, not up, and that means that you're producing the sound farther back on the tongue. So to produce this sound, you can glue your tongue tip to your lower teeth ridge. That's the little thing that sticks out behind your teeth, your bottom teeth. So put your tongue there, and then you try to say an S, or a slightly thicker S, farther back, and you get something like S. And this is the sound in C, as in West C. So the tongue tip is down. And this is something you will not just hear, probably. And if these sounds are not pronounced like this in your native language, you probably won't get in the right in Mandarin, unless somebody points it out to you. 
Like I said earlier, this example is not as clear as the third tone one because you can pronounce them with the tongue tip up and still be understood, provided that you also nail the finals. Because if you've looked at opinion chart, you can see that this is in what's called a complementary distribution, meaning that if you have a ZH, it will never be followed by the same finals as, say, J, so they will not be mixed up. The third example is one that I share with most native speakers of English learning Chinese, and that is a misunderstanding of how voicing works in Mandarin. So in Mandarin, Z, ZH, and J are not voiced, but they are voiced in English, or well, we don't have ZH in English, but Z is voiced. It's the difference between ice and eyes in English, so we have Z, S, 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 that's the difference. But in Mandarin, neither of these sounds are voiced. And by analogy, ZH is not voiced either, and J is not voiced either, whereas J in an English word like jump is voiced. Instead, the difference between S and Z in Mandarin is that S is just a plain fricative, a hissing sound, the S, nothing strange there, and the Z is the same with a little stop in front of it. So if we have something like zuo, as in to sit or to do, zuo, it's not zuo or zuo with a voicing z. We don't have this vibration on the vocal cords. It's just an s with a little stop. So zuo, zuo. Same goes for j. So it's just an x. That's the hissing sound, the sh with the tongue tip down that we just described, plus a little stop in front of it. So a word like ji, as in chicken, is ji ji. It is not g g or something like that, which is very common to hear from native speakers of English. And these things are terribly hard to hear. If you've grown up with z being the important distinction here, and you rely a little bit too much on pinyin when you're learning to pronounce instead of just listening a lot, you will probably think that it is a voiced sound in Mandarin too. And maybe you think that the z as in chicken is also voiced, but it is not. The idea then is, of course, by learning about these differences, you can then first pronounce them correctly yourself because you know what the difference is. And then you can also listen and pay attention to how native speakers use the language and how they pronounce these sounds. So you can start hearing the real difference between S and Z, which then isn't voicing, but is something completely different. If you want a thorough breakdown of some of the most common misconceptions, especially when it comes to pinyin, such as the examples I've mentioned here, except the one with tones, you can check out my article A Guide to Pinyin Traps and Pitfalls, and I'll put a link to that in the description, or you can just check episode 76 of the podcast. And like I said earlier, these were just examples that I've encountered and that I've seen in lots of students. It doesn't mean that these are automatically apply to you. You might have other issues, you might have more issues, you might have fewer issues, I don't know. But the principle is that learning about pronunciation can improve your pronunciation. So the natural conclusion to an episode like this is to address the question of what you should do. If you want to learn more about the theory behind Mandarin pronunciation, how the sounds are described, how they are pronounced, and so on, what should you do? And here, of course, I'm going to shamelessly promote my own pronunciation course, because I built it exactly for this reason. I realized that there weren't many resources available at all that talked about pronunciation, targeting language learners, and still doing a good job of accurately describing how sounds and tones are pronounced. 
So of course there are lots of phonetics courses, but you might not have the background or interest to take a full course in phonetics at university just to improve your pronunciation. For most people that would be overkill. But then you have these courses that simplify things to the point of being incorrect, such as using English words to say how Chinese words are pronounced. So you could say that ji chicken we talked about earlier is pronounced like the beginning of jeep in English, which is just wrong. And if you're a tourist and you want to learn Chinese to be able to say a few words and phrases, that is not a problem. But I bet if you're listening to this episode and you're this far into the episode, you are not a tourist. You are interested in learning Chinese pronunciation fully and at least to a level where everybody can easily understand what you're saying. And then those types of courses won't be enough either. Like I said initially, the course will open for registration on May twenty second, and if you happen to listen to this later, you should still head over to pronunciation.hackingchinese.com to see the status of the course when you are listening. I should say that this is a full video course, so I go through all the pronunciation. I go through initials, finals, tones, and prosody, and also how to learn these things and how to structure your pronunciation practice and so on. But I do this in video format, which allows me to show you how things are pronounced as well. So talking about them on the podcast is sometimes not ideal. If you head over to the written article on hacking Chinese that comes with this episode, I've included several clips from the pronunciation course where you can check out how I present things and also some of the content. You can also check out episode forty of the podcast, or you can just ask me if you have any questions. I do understand that many students can't afford to enroll in courses like these, but if you want free advice, there is plenty on hacking Chinese. Just search for pronunciation and check out the links that I put in the episode description here. And you can also check out the list of free resources I put in the written article on hacking Chinese. Regardless of how you go about it, you certainly can improve your pronunciation. You can reach a level where you can speak Mandarin clearly and in a manner that is easy to understand without the risk of being misunderstood. It does require time and effort, and it also requires you to care about pronunciation. But as I said, if you've listened this far, you have shown that you probably do care about pronunciation. So I'm not too worried about that. Regardless, if you enroll in my course or not, I wish you good luck with your pronunciation. Thank you for tuning in to the Hacking Chinese podcast. If you like this episode, please share it. More information and inspiration about learning and teaching Chinese can be found at hackingchinese.com. See you in the next episode, and until then, good luck with your studies.